This is part two of our episode with Brian Edward Hill talking about defining theme. Enjoy. You are now listening to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. One book that comes to mind, um, you mentioned book, and specifically the book of uh, Starship Troopers. Um, sure. That, the, the theme in there, initially, it looks like, you know, uh, it's, it's like about leadership and, and learning how to, you know, you know, learn how to, how to, how to matriculate from this low infantry soldier that, you know, who doesn't really care mm-hmm. about what he's doing and into a leader and understanding what your purpose is. But then I feel like kind of the, the deeper theme in that is truly understanding what the value of human life is, which is why they can't get their citizenship until they've served, you know, um, and, right. and I, I think, and that, and that's why I like the, and I, I like the movie. It's, it's fun and it's aliens and all that bugs, whatever. But, <laughs> but the book, yeah. like, I mean, yeah, again, they, they did hit it a little bit in the movie, but it was just so like the, the whole style of the movie was meant to be more, you know. Well, yeah, it was, it was you know, it was Paul Verhoeven. So, right. uh, you know, Verhoeven's incredibly talented, but subtlety goes out the window, right? So, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. In, in a book, you know, you can wrestle with things in a more, um, kind of measured way. You can, you can pace it out a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, like Dune, for instance, the book, in the book, Paul Atreides, Muad'Dib, yeah. uh, isn't really Muad'Dib. Mm, right, right, yeah, like, yeah. It, in the book, he's aware of the Bene Gesserit, uh, prophecy. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of being like, well, I'll kind of be this dude because they believe a dude like this will right, come. Exactly. But he's kind of a false messiah. Right. 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 In, the book. in the movie, he just is the Quezon Cetera. And that's the thing. I, I've, you know? I've actually never seen the dude movie, so I have no idea how the movie. But in the- <laughs> and, and that's a big change. In the movie, he literally is the messiah, you know, and. And that's a big shift. Mm-hmm. And the book kind of questions the necessity of messiah. It also questions the the effect that mythology has on our culture mm-hmm. exactly. and the danger of of prophetics right and and uh and assigning that role to fallible people mm-hmm. and all of that right so yeah in a book you've got more space more time more nuance right. um to deal with it and you can approach this you know in, in many different ways you know um and and uh, kind of figure out what your ultimate point is inside of all of that. In a novel, you can certainly do that. In a, in a movie, it's a little harder yeah. because of the running time and, and the presentation of, of the story in, in that context. Absolutely. Unless you're like Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick can do it because <laughs> his movies are just visual poetry. Right, right, so, right. <laughs> so, uh, he's able to do it. It's a certain kind of film that can, they can, they can nail that, yeah. uh, you know. You know, he, you know, he can just show you dinosaurs and then like Brad Pitt in the fifties and then you have to figure it out. Right, right. I mean, I, one of my favorite films still ever came out in the last few years was, um, uh, Arrival. Um, oh, that sure. movie freaking blew my mind and the theme was so heavy in that movie. Oh yeah. You know, I, I mean, honestly, you don't even know what it's about initially. You think they're just, okay, you're trying to confer with these aliens or whatever, but these, 
aliens were bringing them something. They're bringing them a gift. And I, I thought mm-hmm. that was so, I, I don't even want to like, in case anybody hasn't even watched the movie, who's listening. I don't even want to say, because it's just that good. It's still <laughs> sort of semi-recent. So you should definitely see Arrival, uh, you know, um, if you haven't seen it, if you're listening to this, because it's, uh, really interesting. And, uh, Eric Heiser, uh, who, uh, wrote that movie, um, adapted it from a short story, I believe, or a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did a really fine job with it. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's, it, yeah, like, so yeah, so like, you want to make sure your thematics are clear to you, mm-hmm. um, and it will help you organize the, the plot points of your, of your story. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Intentional, intentional, uh, writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I guess we're about the, the hour mark, so I guess we'll get ready to wrap it up shortly. Really quick before we do, um, I guess we could do some quick questions that people left on social media, um, which are not directly related to uh, the thematic discussion, but hey, no, sure. it's, it's fun anyways, right? <laughs> well, I'm in the booth, so might as well, might as well freestyle, right? Uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> the little Gambino for you. So, so... Dylan Gilbertson asks, uh, if you can tell people about one of the ghosts you've seen. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to tell all three because it's a long story, but I'll I'll talk to you about, uh, uh, one of them. Okay. So when I was, uh, when I was a kid for a little while, um, my mother, grandmother, and I, we all lived in the same house, uh, in the University City of Missouri. And uh, my grandmother had a lot of clutter in her basement. Um, she, she kept a lot of things. Um, and I had to go down there and, and get something out of the basement. I don't remember what it was. It was like some kind of, I don't know, some tool or something that she needed. Mm-hmm. And I never really liked going down into the basement because the basement just always felt weird. But, you know, basements feel weird to kids, so that's pretty mm-hmm. common. So I went downstairs, uh, and I had a, and there's, you know, there's a kind of rows of boxes, and, and she had a bunch of clothes that were hanging on the clothesline. Uh, and I was walking, like, looking in this box for this tool, and I heard uh, the sound of whining metal behind me. Mm. Um, and I, I turned around, and one garment on the clothesline was swinging back and forth. That's just strange. one. It was a heavy coat. And it was swinging back and forth, back and forth. And there are no windows in the basement. There's no wind. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to do that. And it would have to be a pretty strong wind in order to move clothes on a clothesline mm-hmm. that much. And it only was one garment in the row. And it went back and forth, back and forth. And then it moved to the right. And I saw a old man just standing there. Wow. Uh, wearing... I don't even know if it was formal because he seemed like he was from an earlier time. Mm -hmm. So that might've just been like casual wear back in the day. I'm not saying that he was like in a suit or anything, but he definitely looked like he was from, I don't know, man, maybe like the twenties or even before then, what have you. He's he's an older white man. He was tall and he had a very kind of intense look on his face and he was pointing at me and he, in the point, it, oh my God. that's why I said he was semi-hostile on Twitter. Right. Because I, it wasn't like he was attacking me or anything, but he was pointing at me, almost like to say, you can't deny that you see me now. Yeah, yeah, wow. Right? Almost like he read my thoughts, 
the, the I'm not seeing this, this isn't real, and like pointed in response to those thoughts, almost to say, uh, no, this is really happening. And, and then I heard some kind of utterance from him, but I couldn't make out the word. It was almost like someone who was trying to speak, but couldn't mm. speak. So it was, it, it was like a breath that came with some extra sound that felt like a moan, but the moan was trying to be a word. And I like screamed and ran up those stairs in like three Holy stairs, crap. just like, boom, boom, boom. and I didn't go, uh, into that basement again for probably three Jeez. years. Okay, that's... Let's say I, was about, I was about 10 when that happened, so I was probably about 13 or 14 before I would go in that wow, basement. Wow, that is terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was, that's, that's one Ooh. of the ghost stories. Yep, don't want to experience that. <laughs> I, I would probably, I mean, honestly, I probably would have reacted uh, the same way. Uh, okay, uh, real quick. Thomas says, what's your, this is Thomas Malik. He's actually one of the editors on, uh, on my comic site, um, Comics Horizon. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Thomas is yeah, really smart. Oh, yeah, I love him. I love him. Um, he beats me up sometimes, but that's okay because I deserve it. <laughs> he says, what's, what's your take on fans and creators communicating with each other publicly over social media? Also, the effects of chasing uh, virality. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing virality correct. Hmm. I tell you what, like, it's, oh, man, it's complex, right? It's a very good question from Thomas because um, I am naturally a pretty open person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I don't mind it. I don't mind communicating with, with readers and, and all of that via social media because I know I'm not special. You know, I, I just got some opportunities and, and I'm doing some things. So, um, I, I'm fine with it. I think it's, it's tricky when a creator is required to do it or they, or they feel like you're compelled to do it. I mean, I happen to be a pretty extroverted mm-hmm. writer, you know, and I think it's because of one, I'm just not exclusively a writer, right? Like I, you know, I worked in advertising. I worked at Playboy magazine for a year. You know, I was writing, but I'm also a filmmaker, a photographer, a musician. You know, I do a mm-hmm. bunch of different things. Yeah. And so, um, part of some of the things I do require, you know, public interaction. I mean, you sing in a band for a little while, you know, like I've played live on stage. I've done these things. So I'm pretty extroverted as far as writers go. But I think, uh, it's difficult for writers who are somewhat naturally introverted to have to be, present upon social media. Mm. Um, so that I think is a, is a tricky thing. The other thing is, you know, I mean, it's like the governance of everything that you've ever said ever. <laughs> right. And, and people looking back through there, um, you know, and, and, uh, I don't think, I don't think I have any madness up there. I mean, I might have some, some nasty things I may have said about like, you know, Laura Ingram at some point, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think she, she earned it though. Uh, but, uh, I wasn't anything vulgar. I think I might have compared it to a Nazi or something. Sorry about that, Laura. I know you're not a Nazi. I just think you're a bad person. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, you know, there's that element too, right? Like the kind of the going back, looking through the receipts and the whole deal. Um, so I think that puts a lot of pressure on people to have to, you know, constantly be in like a public relations module, right? And, and I personally, I try to be as authentic mm-hmm. as I can. But at the same time, I know that your words can be taken completely out right. of context. 
and um, they can be used against you. Um, sometimes because you were, you know, being rude. Sometimes because you weren't being rude, but what you what you've written can be misconstrued. So those things are there. In general, I think social media is a net negative. Right. I'm just yeah. going to be real about that. I don't think it's. I think that social media is to the human mind and spirit what atomic weapons were to geopolitics. <laughs> I think some good could come, may have come, from the development of atomic weapons, but a lot more bad comes from it. And now there's a constant threat of annihilation because right. of it, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I generally think it's bad. I mean, you know, like everything about it, man, like, you know, the, the right. verbiage, you know, followers. Well, I shouldn't have any followers because I'm not leading anybody anywhere, nor right. should I. Right. And so that's a weird thing. The fact that you can be a kid in school and you can have a numerical metric for how popular yeah. you are. When I thought I wasn't popular, at least an adult could lie to me and say I was mm. cool. Right. Now a kid is like, no, mom, you don't understand. There's a number and it's low. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. terrible. Um, and then the dopamine response that that we get from the likes and the and the mm -hmm. interactions to a to an emerging adolescent mind that's still growing and forming neural pathways around mm -hmm. pleasure, right? Like I think we're we're gonna look, you know, over the next ten years, I think we're gonna see the result of the social media right. generation. Oh wow, that's right. Kids are raised with this craziness. That have factored it into like how they view the world and mm -hmm. self and their brains have formed dopamine responses around this stuff, which is engineered to be mm -hmm. addictive. Here's an interesting thing since I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> so the interesting thing is, um, I think we might have to reconsider how we think about narcotics. <laughs> because if you think about what a narcotic is, a narcotic is a substance that changes the way your brain understands pleasure and can create a euphoric experience artificially by adding it to your, your, you know, your, your normal sort of homeostasis, right? Social media is a kind of narcotic. It's a digital narcotic. We don't think about it because you don't sniff it, you don't put it in a pill, you don't inject it, you don't smoke it. Right. But it can it can still give you um, kind of an imbalance of, of dopamine. You know, it can affect the way that your brain registers pleasure, pain, all of those things. Um, you know, it, if you detach from it, there's an, an addict response to it. And we're not considering it as a narcotic because we think about narcotics in a very right. narrow thing. We tend to think about narcotics in terms of the delivery mechanism, not in terms of what they accomplish. Right. And I, I think that social media, I'm not saying we need to, you know, ban social media or whatever it is. I'm not sure how much banning drugs is good for anyone either. Like, um, you know, I think that that creates drug cartels and, and makes it difficult to get treatment. So, uh, I'm not saying do that, but, but yeah, I just think that in general, you know, to kind of broaden out Thomas's question, I'm not sure social media interaction is good for anybody, ultimately. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still on it, you know, and all that. And uh, chasing virality, well, I, I think that that speaks to some of those negative aspects, you know. Um, it's, 
it's just it's another thing that may happen that we now feel a sense of loss if it doesn't. Right. Exactly. And I I don't think that's that's really healthy no. for us. You yeah. know. Um. And uh, I I would ask people. I was just talking to uh, Nelson Blake the second about this, a comic book artist and yeah, he's on, um, friend of mine. And he's on uh, Romulus. Yeah, he's on Romulus, right? And you know, I, I think that we need to remember that. Currency isn't just money. Attention is currency, right? And uh, you can convert anything to money, right? It's almost like the there's a conversion process to it. If you get a lot of attention, you can convert that attention to money, mm. like currency conversion, right? Like if you give me Deutschmarks, uh, I can convert those into dollars. Or you give me Euros, I can convert those into dollars. I don't even know if there are Deutschmarks anymore with the European Union, but the point of it is, the, the attention that we give things it forms a, a kind of currency. And so virality is, uh, unfortunately, virality can have a, a real-life effect. You know, you can transform that attention currency you're getting into actual currency. And I think it leads to a lot of weird, dark ambitions. You know, I think it's the same it's kind of same dark cauldron that has teenagers all wrestling with the fact that they're not a celebrity which I never did because I didn't think I could be a celebrity. But now they know teenagers who are celebrities. Right, exactly. So now you feel like you're missing out on something if you didn't accomplish that. You know? I don't know. I, I think the whole thing is not twisted. Yeah, it's so, a, man, it's, it's definitely something that I've never would have expected, like, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's the most significant development of mankind. Um, I mean, I guess you can look at it as an aspect of the internet, but... Even as an aspect of the internet, I think social media, I think we're going to look back at the, at the dawn of social media and we're going to recognize somewhere that humanity changed at that moment. Right, right. The nature of what we were changed. And I'm not sure what we're changing into, but I think we need to be conscientious about exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, these are things we got to think about on a regular basis. <laughs> you got to think about it. I'm just saying think about it. Just think about it. There's, there's a show on, on Netflix right now called The Circle that has to do with social media. It's like a quote-unquote reality show. We know, well, there's a there's a YouTuber that I watch who's somewhat controversial, so I might get yelled at for, for mentioning her. But, uh, um, oh, uh, Natalie Wynn. She goes by mm-hmm. ContraPoints. And um, she had a, a kind of a recent controversy on Twitter. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of that because I'll mess up the whole thing and I don't even want to step on the landmine and say what happened in the wrong way. But she got into a recent controversy and then she got canceled on Twitter uh, and made a, made a YouTube video recently um, about just kind of like what that whole process is like and philosophically what's going on in it. I thought it was really interesting. I know she's somewhat controversial because people have uh, neglected to like forgive her for uh, whatever misdeeds she may have committed um, and uh, in a sense apologized for. But, you know, I, th- I thought her video was kind of insightful. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I, you know, I think about getting rid of that Twitter account every morning. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, um, it's, it's, it's kind of that sort of environment where like, wow, what is this really, how is this really affecting? If there is a way to quantify and the ways that this affects me. <laughs> I mean, me, me like thinking about getting rid of my Twitter is like Riggs thinking about seeing his wife again at the grave. 
it's like every morning, like Eric Clapton's playing, and I open up my computer, it's like, you know, and I just can't seem to do it. Oh man, I just can't seem to do it, you know. Um, but yeah, so thank you, Thomas. <laughs> and then, uh, last really quick question. Um, this uh, this is from Jill, Desert Jill. She asks, "What is it like being a writer on Titans and working with the team?" And she says, "Thank you." Oh yeah, yeah. Um, hi, Jill. Uh, well, I I really enjoy the the group of people that you know we work with. You know, I'm just a small part of Titans. And, you know, um, it's and I've been on the show. I'm, I'm going into my third year, but you know, there's a lot of minds involved on that. And so, um, it's, it would be really inappropriate of me to take any major credit for anything that happens in that show. Uh, um, I mean, it really is a collaborative thing and, you know, we have a showrunner, Greg Walker, and then we have, you know, Akiva is our executive producer, Jeff Johns, you know, as well. So what, what I enjoy about it is I'm not ultimately responsible for everything. You know, in my screenplays, I feel very responsible. Like, I have a movie shooting in Belfast. They actually start shooting on Monday that I wrote. And and I've been, you know, working with uh, the actors. You know, we've got Guy Pierce in the movie, and I've been talking to him about, you know, the character and everything else and other things going on, talking to the director. And I'm very responsible, right? I'm trying to, you know, be present and, you know, speak to the script and, and all that stuff. You know, on a television show, there's just more people involved. So I don't feel like um, I have to carry the load, and I don't have to carry the load. I mean, there are a lot of loads that I'd never get my hand on in that. And that's a new experience for me as a writer. I mean, relatively new. I've been doing it for about four years, right, working in TV between Evil Dead and Titans. So that aspect of it I enjoy. You know, I enjoy the collaborative stuff. I enjoy being in a room with um, other writers and, and talking about storytelling because that wasn't really an experience I had growing up. I, I did like practice a lot of my craft alone because um, I didn't know many writers growing up. I didn't have a circle of friends that were writers. I had like one or couple, one or two good friends and we would trade scripts back and forth and talk to each other about them. But you know, so that, that experience is, um, is really rewarding for me. It feels very different. Than when I'm writing a screenplay or writing a comic book or, you know, um, creating like, you know, trying to create my own you know, TV project or something like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I learn a lot from seeing how other people use Kung Fu. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't think you could do a foot sweep there. That's interesting. Look, write that down in my little book of Kung Fu, my little Hong Kong Fu book. Well, write that down. You can do a foot sweep right after that kick. Okay. So. You know, that's most of my experience is kind of seeing how everyone else kind of approaches it and, and, and using those lessons I learned from that in my own personal writing. Uh, so, you know. Or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's cool, kind of, you know, kind of working in a, in a, in a, on a team full of a bunch of other writers and, and getting to experience how other people do their thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine you can learn a whole lot from that, you know. So, uh, no, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, Titans has been great. Uh, I'm still behind, I'm behind on everything, but, um, I've watched, you know, most of the first season. So, um, yeah, I've been, I've been enjoying it myself. But, all right. Um, so I guess we're close to a little over the uh, hour, close to the hour and a half mark. So go ahead and wrap it up. Um, if you can let people know where to find you on the, uh, on the internets. Yeah, sure. I mean, Twitter is is kind of where 
I do the most interacting with people. And that's easy. That's just my name at Brian Edward Hill, Brian with a Y. Um, I also have an Instagram at Brian E Hill, but my Instagram is more of like my fashion, Tom Ford nonsense. So like I, you know, it's not very much on writing or anything at all. In fact, my Twitter is a lot about my fashion, Tom Ford nonsense too. Um, Mainly because I have to get, you know, tired of talking about the same thing all over again. So now I'm talking about fragrances and watches. But, uh, I am there in those two places and you can easily find me there. I, you know, I add people to Facebook a lot, but I, I don't really use it because I think Facebook is just too evil for me to use. <laughs> um, like Facebook is just a bridge too far for me. And, and I haven't gotten rid of it because they don't make it easy to get True. rid of Facebook. <laughs> you start to get, you start to get rid of it. They're like, are you sure? Are you sure, sure? Cause we don't have to get rid of it. We can just, you know, go away for a little while and you can come back. And it's like, oh lord. And he's like, fine, fine, Zuckerberg, leave it there. Jeez. Um, uh, but yeah, like those are the places to, to kind of find me online if you wish to do so. And then, um, uh, Monthly, I have Batman and the Outsiders and Angel. Uh, um, that's a, two different books. It's not Batman and Angel and the Outsiders. It's Batman and the Outsiders for DC. Although that would be kind of a dope crossover, but it's Batman and the Outsiders for DC, Angel for Boom Studios based on the Joss Whedon series, Fallen Angels, I believe, has one more issue to come out for Marvel. Um, and, uh, those are my monthly things. Titans is available on various streaming services. I believe DC universe, primarily in the States, Netflix internationally, um, look for that. And then, and I've got other things I'm working on, uh, things I can't really talk about, but announcements that are coming along the way. So, uh, if you're, you know, curious about what comes out of this crazy thing I call a brain, uh, then follow me on social media and I'll keep you up to date. I don't know why I pictured Batman like standing on a baseball field, like with Batman angels in the outfield. <laughs> I mean, now you're putting Field of Dreams in there. That's like, the, you know, that's like a super crossover. Absolutely. If you build a Gotham, right, exactly, come. right. <laughs> All right, uh, you like always. You can find me at Fourth Wall. That's I V W A L L. You can look up the podcast on fourthwall.net, or you can look up Beyond the Fourth Wall. Uh, this podcast is hosted by Patreon, but of course, most of the episodes are free for the public. Um, yeah, so you know where to find us. At we will catch you guys next time. Peace out.